We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. Today, we are going off stage a little bit. We're going away from the writers and actors and the directors of shows. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about the publicity side of theater. We are talking with Jim Bick, one of the founders of The Press Room, whose clients include Hamilton, uh, Book of Mormon, as well as theater companies that include Paper Mill Playhouse, uh, Toronto's own Soul Pepper Theater company it's with great pleasure that i welcome jim bick to the show welcome jim how you doing i'm doing great thanks for having me oh no problem thank you so i start every one of my interviews the same way i want to know who jim is i want the jim bick bio in 30 seconds oh my goodness <laughs> okay uh i uh, i i came into this whole uh line of work uh, quite by accident, uh, I was a newspaper reporter in Connecticut, visiting a friend in a press office. I didn't know the job existed. Uh, got hired. Uh, we can talk about that first show. And uh, 30 years later, I'm still still doing it and still love it. Short, sweet, and to the point. I like it. All right. <laughs> it's like 22 seconds. It's perfect. Okay. So, so let me let me ask you: Have you always been into theater, musical theater, or is that something you uh, you learned a little bit later in life? Um, I I would say uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I grew up in Connecticut, uh, just outside of Hartford. Um, so Broadway was always always close, and we would go to the shows. And uh, first show I saw was Raisin. In 1974. Nice. Um, I don't remember too much about it, but uh, I, I remember the experience. Uh, saw a lot of stuff in the 1970s. Uh, I, Annie, Ain't Misbehaving, Magic Show, uh, you know, all of uh, all of the, you know, titles of the, the 70s that yeah. uh, uh, he would go to, especially if you're, a, you know, a, a kid or uh, early teens. Uh, and then in 1979, my father, I, I don't know why, just uh, bought tickets to Sweeney Todd. Mm. And I was 13. And from the second walking into the theater and seeing that set and everything about that original production hooked me then and there. Uh, I, I it, You just, you really can't convey, I think people... Um, might have grown grown up with um, the the video of Sweeney Todd from the national tour, have an idea of what it looked like. But that original Broadway production with the six, you know, six story iron foundry set. And when you came in, there was an organist and there were grave diggers and this machinery that was whirring around on the giant set. And th so there's all of that. Uh, you sit down, the, the steam whistle goes off. I jumped into the row behind me and was, <laughs> the show started. And, you know, I didn't know theater could, could do that. Mm -hmm. And it just, uh, it took me into uh, an, another world. And it was just something that from there on then, I thought, boy, I'd love to be a part of it in, in some way. Um, I was a dabbler. I uh, played uh, a lot of musical instruments uh, growing up, piano, French horn, and violin. And so I would uh, do some musical directing, uh, accompaniments, played in a few orchestras, but um, I really didn't know how I would get into it mm -hmm. until this sort of chance uh, opportunity came, which I can tell you about if, if uh, if, if you want that, me to jump into it. That is exactly where I'd want to go because not like those shows are incredible shows. I would love to have seen all those, except for Annie, maybe I'm, uh, man, I'm not a huge I, fan. I'll tell you this. I'm going to, I'm going to jump to the defense of Annie. Because <laughs> so many people who just, you know, sort of reflexively dismiss it. Yeah. That original production also, um, I, it, it just it's it was one of those perfect productions mm -hmm. that 
uh, I don't know has been quite equaled. I, I, I actually, I worked on uh, the 2012 revival of Annie. Okay, yeah. Uh, that played at the Palace Theater, um, which was an enjoyable experience, but I, the, my memories of that original production and uh, the cast, um, I, I actually saw Sarah Jessica Parker as an understudy. Uh, and they, uh, you know, they did that announcement before the show at, at this performance that yeah. Annie will be played by, and the audience groaned. Oh, no. You know, because they weren't seeing, I think it was uh, Shelley Bruce, I think was the, the, second, uh, the second Annie. Yeah. Uh, and so you were seeing Sarah Jessica Parker, who uh, eventually took, took over the role. I think my Miss Hannigan was Alice Ghostly. That original production, the... Um, set design in particular, David Mitchell's mm -hmm. set just moved and glided. And yeah. it was just, it was a magical show. And it was also um, uh, politically mm -hmm. an interesting show because there was this um, uh, subtext of why uh, Tom Meehan and Charles Strauss and Martin Chardon wrote it uh, it was a reaction to uh, the cynicism of Watergate, and they were hearkening back to uh, FDR and mm -hmm. uh, you know a, a president who um, fostered all of this um, uh, economic recovery. They thought, wouldn't it be great to you know uh, uh, to to be back with uh, a leader uh, like that? So it wasn't. Uh, Boy, I've really gone off tangent on my, <laughs> my Annie defense, but um, it, it wasn't really, uh, I, I think, how it's viewed now yeah. as like a kid show uh, to, a, to a degree. It wasn't yeah. that, because uh, adults went to it, families. I think adults went to it first and then came back with their kids. Okay. So um, it, 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 was, it was great to see. I, I had to have seen it around... Uh, 1978. I, I missed the uh, the original cast, but yeah. uh, still still magical. So. I think I think it's funny that you said people groaned when Sarah Jessica Parker came out, and now, yeah, now it, they're now they're all like, "Guess who I saw?" Yeah, <laughs> in retrospect, in, in hindsight, they'd be like, "I I saw Sarah Jessica Parker." That's uh, so, funny. so uh, <laughs> you so you were starting to talk about like the the other shows of of. The 70s. Oh yeah, the, the I love them. I love the magic show and and Raisin. I really like that that cast recording. I, I played on the station as well as Sweetie Todd. I, I was an Annie. That's why I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm Daddy wore be, was like, Don't be anti Annie. <laughs> embrace Annie. So, I will. I will embrace Sorba. Embrace Annie. So yeah. I will. I will reflect now and and yeah. maybe you've convinced me. Think of the. <laughs> So you you uh, obviously you didn't go to, to post secondary for theater. You said you went for no. I, I, I was an English major okay. at uh, at Muhlenberg uh, down in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I, I really didn't have um, uh, an inkling of how I was going to get into um, uh, professional theater, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Broadway side of things. And I had a friend working in a press office. Um, uh, John Barlow and at the um, uh, Josh Ellis office. Uh, Josh was a major, major press agent for 1970s and 80s and uh, into the 90s. Um, so I was visiting with John and met Josh. Uh, I got back home to Connecticut and there was a message from Josh on my answering machine saying, uh, we need an extra pair of hands to open up okay the um gershwin musical yeah. uh how'd you like to come to work with david merrick and i thought wow i you know yeah my brother was living in new york at the time so i had a place to stay and i thought let, let me do this and see what it's all about yeah and that's uh that's where it began um there's a good story about that as well because josh didn't know uh, at the time, uh, so I was hired to uh, help coordinate the opening night party. Mm -hmm. um, and on the invitations, they, they had to send out the invitations before they hired whoever was uh, going to, to do this job. 
So they didn't know if it was going to if they were going to hire a man or a woman. So there was a phone line where it said um, to RSVP, uh, call Robin at this telephone number. So they put a name that could have been a man or a woman. Yeah. Uh, so for my first uh, my first job on Broadway, I was I was Robin, <laughs> uh, and so uh, for. Um, uh, Natalie Lloyd, who ended up as uh, one of the Mrs. Merricks, uh, when I was really introduced as as Jim Beck, she's like, "No, no, he'll he'll always be Robin to me." So, uh, so you know that was it. it, it I just um, uh, really just lucky with uh, the right place at the right time. I, I had a job through the opening of that show, which. Um, uh, starred Brian Mitchell before wow. before Brian Stokes Mitchell, although you know he would come to the office and he'd say, "Call me Stokes," and that was uh, uh, so. It was Brian Stokes Mitchell, uh, Angela Teak, uh, Greg Burge, uh, Kime, really good cast. Stanley Wynn Mathis was uh, was in it. Um, uh, it's it was an exciting way to get to get started and. Uh, you know, I was getting calls from former Merrick stars. Uh, so Jerry Orbach called to RSVPS, uh, uh, Patty Lupone. So it was all, you know, very, very exciting to me. Patty couldn't make it. I think she was, she was filming uh, Life Goes On at the time. So, uh, so yeah, I, it was that all felt very exciting to you know to me to to be a part of it and yeah. um, uh, to be at the opening night party, which was at Sardi's, and Sardi's was reopening uh, with uh, Vincent Sardi, who had been away for uh, the business for a while. So it was it was this big opening, and I learned pretty quickly how um, how this all could go. Um, Suzanne Tai, who's now at Bono Brian Brown, um, she was working on the show at Josh's office and we knew the review had come in from Frank Rich. And I, you know, I, I was having a great time on the whole experience. And I said, uh, how's the review? And Suzanne said, he hated it. And oh, no. I thought, wow, okay, this is this is how it, you know, how it can be. I you know, of course yeah. I, I I I knew. Um, reviews could go that way, of course, sure. but you know, to then all of a sudden be on the other side of it. Yeah. And before all of this, I had been a newspaper reporter uh, in Connecticut for uh, just a, a paper in the Hartford area. So I was going from uh, the press side of things to press agent and yeah. uh, so, sort of switching sides. As it <laughs> Uh, so, you know, that's how it started. And I sent, I sent resumes around, uh, knowing my job was going to be up, uh, after opening night. And I was hired by Keith Sherman right after that. Um, I, I think even the day after, uh, opening night of OK, I got a call from Keith who brought me in. Uh, and so I've just, I've been doing it ever since. And, uh, also, I think it's fair to say constantly learning because the mm -hmm. job in the 30 years I've been doing it has just constantly evolved and, and changed, which is what has kept it uh, so exciting. Um, it's, it's, I, I, it's never boring because I think each show offers its own unique mm -hmm. uh, points to, to work with, assets, challenges. Um, what season are you opening in? What's your competition? Uh, what is the message of the show that you want to get out there? Uh, what is that public image for your show and how do you craft it? That's really the job of, of a press agent. And so that's, um, it's what we do. I've always been curious. You, you hear the words press agent and things yeah. like that, and you have a vague idea <laughs> of what you do, but it seems that it's more of a, a puzzle 
almost you, you've got to figure out the best way to uh take this part and this part and 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 package it um so what, what does a, a typical day look like not a a 2020 typical day we'll go back to 2019 what does a typical day <laughs> in 2019 look like for, for a press agent when when you're working on stuff um i i should say too in addition to uh our broadway work um we do off broadway we do institutions mm -hmm. we do um uh streaming projects um well especially after this <laughs> year um so i, I I think you start off with an idea of what you're going to tackle uh, for your client. Um, maybe there's a, a particular deadline or um, something you're working towards. I, I, if it's a show that's open already, uh, maybe it's an anniversary or a new piece of casting, you know, a new actor is joining. Are you going to do a photo call? Um, uh, video, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all of that. And then invariably as the day goes on, there can be all sorts of, uh, new things that, that come in, uh, either requests, uh, that are being made of you, or, uh, if you're pitching a particular, um, a particular story and say you're, you've engaged with, uh, a journalist and you, um, uh, you go from there as far as like negotiating uh, what story you're going to do and and when I, it's so when I began 1990 it was um, New York uh, what five television stations uh, yeah. four newspapers a uh, couple of radio radio stations uh, national magazines and in the mid 90s it all changes to um, uh, to 24 hour mm -hmm. cable and uh, the internet, you know, the growth of, of the websites and uh, now podcasts and social. And so it's, it's really developed into uh, you're, you're keeping tabs on your show from many different sides yeah. and angles. You have to see what are they saying about it on social. Uh, maybe there's something, uh, maybe there's something an actor has said in your show that uh, some information that got out mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily want or uh, that you want to try to um, uh, control or, or at least uh, frame in a way mm -hmm. that's positive for your show. And uh, I'd say social has, has been the development that has I think really changed everything. Uh, the example that I've used a lot, um, I, I worked on the play, The River by Jez Butterworth that starred Hugh Jackman. Um, and during the course of the play, he had to gut and cook a fish on stage. And he would chop up onions and leeks or uh, you know, prepare this fish on stage. And at one performance, he cut the tip of his finger and started bleeding profusely. And they, he kept right on going. Uh, the other actors in the production brought him towels to wrap up his, wrap up his finger, uh, kept right on going. Well, 1990, if that had happened, you might get a call the next morning because someone tipped off a reporter as far as what happened. But yeah. now 700 people yes. saw that happen and they have their smartphones and they go on Twitter or whatever and say, you know, oh my gosh, Hugh, Hugh Jackman, you know, cut off his finger on State University. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. And, yeah. uh, and it happened... Um, don't remember what particular day it happened, but say, you know, a Saturday night performance mm -hmm. and my phone starts lighting up at, you know, it was a short play, like 9.15 yeah. after uh, the curtain fell. And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with something that just happened and yeah. the nature of live theater, that something always happens. And yeah. so um, 
you know, a, a, a Daily News reporter called me and said, uh, you know, I, I, I heard Hugh Jackman cut off his finger, you know, uh, live on stage. And, you know, do you have a comment? And so that's, <laughs> you know, before you, I've even, you know, know what's yeah. happened, spoken with a producer. That's the nature of um, it happened so fast and in real time. Um, so in that case, uh, in that instance, I worked with his personal press rep and, um, uh, you know, went out with a statement as far as what had happened. But um, you have to be prepared to work really quickly with an instance like, like that. I, that that's, that's an extreme, I, I think. You know, but it's uh, other things do happen. The set breaks down or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, an actor, um, becomes ill you know say your star is ill at you know leaves the leaves the show at intermission and the mm -hmm. understudy takes over or um it can be things of of that ilk as well that you also have to deal with but crazy <laughs> yeah. so um when did you start the press room your company you know you obviously got into yeah. it back in for with okay you caught the bug yeah. When when did you start your own company? Uh, the press room began in 2018, fall of 2018. Um, what uh, I was working with Sam Rudy. Uh, Sam was the um, uh, original office of Hamilton, where um, Shane Marshall Brown was Sam's associate. Um, I didn't know Shane really well. And I, I went to work with Sam because um, uh, two projects, actually, there was the play Indecent uh, by Paula Vogel um, that uh, he needed help with, um, and also Soul Pepper, speaking of uh, uh, the glory of, of Toronto, <laughs> yeah. was taking over uh, Signature Theater here in New York. Uh -huh. uh, Soul Pepper was coming in with a very ambitious uh, uh, month of programming at that theater where they were taking over all of the stages of Signature mm -hmm. Theater. And so Sam hired me for, uh, for those projects, but then uh, I started to get work within Sam's office uh, of my own, like uh, Farinelli and the King and then Three Tall Women, um, uh, the producers had reached out uh, for me to handle those. And uh, Sam was planning his retirement. Uh, so Shane and I started speaking about when, when this happens, yeah. uh, should we form an office? And uh, we knew um, Hamilton needed a home and we, we hoped that we would get it. And uh, also then the Book of Mormon, which I had opened uh, at Boda Brian Brown um, also came over. Uh, so then we had an office and uh, that's, that's really how it got started. Um, I'll, I'll say I had been a part of very large press offices and being with Sam and in uh, a smaller office, uh, I, which is where I had, where I began, uh, you know, back when I started, I liked, um, I, I liked having uh, just a, a smaller slate of projects that uh, I could work on and really devote my time and attention to. Uh, it was profound with Indecent. Mm -hmm. um, that was a very special play. Um, that was hard to describe. Um, it was hard to convey everything that that play was about. Yeah. Because um, it was a play about a play over a course of close to 50 years. There are songs, there's this troupe of, of, of players that rise from the ashes. And then uh, also the fact that um, uh, when Indecent was about to go into rehearsal, um, there was the, um, uh, the Muslim ban 
travel ban mm -hmm. was enacted uh, in, in the US. And uh, we had a play that dealt with very similar issues. Um, 1924, there was an anti-immigration uh, act that um, specifically targeted uh, Jews. Uh, well, I, I mean, all through the 20s, there, there are terrible immigration acts. Um, yeah. uh, Jews, uh, Irish, Italian, Asian, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I could go into a whole tangent of yeah. the hypocrisy of, of, of the US and, you know, the, the whole melting pot, give me your tired, your poor, and then, you know, really our, our, our true history. Anyway, yeah. we, here we have a play that was uh, in, you know, our era dealing with uh, a very similar issue. And so, um, how how could we talk about that and um, uh, engage with what was happening, you know, in in real life in, in yeah. the real world? And so um, we had uh, Paula, uh, who's just God. She is remarkable. If you ever have the chance to, I know she's you know uh, apart from the songs in in decent, not yeah. not. Uh, you know, not uh, necessarily uh, musical theater, but yeah. uh, uh, she uh, she she's an incredible, incredible uh, playwright, teacher, mentor. Um, uh, I, you know, I I I go into every project just in love with uh, uh, the, the 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 talent, the the people that I I get to work with. It's mm -hmm. still. Um, uh, provides a great deal of, of joy. And so um, anyway, we got Paula um, writing about these issues as well in op-eds and uh, in, in radio interviews. So um, when I say that's the type of thing that you wanna pay attention to as, as a press agent, yeah. um, shows uh, even, even a musical, um, uh, they don't exist in a vacuum. Uh, there's uh, real life happening, and um, it, it, you just would not want to ignore what's uh, uh, what's relevant to um, uh, your show and and the world that it lives in. So, it's it's one of the things in particular that that I love about the work yeah. is when you can find that connection, or when it just happens. That's very cool. Yeah, because uh, Indecent, I do actually play a couple of songs from Indecent. It, it falls into oh, that middle cat. Yeah, yeah. It, it falls into that middle category of there's music and there's singing, but it's yeah. not traditional musical. But you know what? I love the songs. I put some of them into the station, so Excellent. we do play yeah. it. But I was going to say, so Indecent, you you got that right from the beginning, right? So you were able to craft that. What's the what's it like to take over something like Hamilton, which is already a juggernaut, but it obviously is you know, you're taking it over from something, somebody else or, or somewhere else. In well, in, in this case, um, not, uh, not entirely because no? oh, okay. Shane, yeah, Shane, uh, and, and really, I should say, um, uh, Hamilton is, is, uh, you know, led brilliantly by, by Shane. Mm -hmm. um, okay. He, he was uh, right by Sam's side all through uh, Hamilton at, at okay. Sam Rudy's office. So, uh, in that case, I think it was um, uh, how to um, how how to have the um, uh, continuity really in, mm -hmm. in uh, and and uh, I, I think in that case it's like let's um, let's have a smooth transition. Okay. And um, uh, you know I, there are people who say when uh, when you have a show like Hamilton, the work just the work just happens, you know, because everyone wants to write about it. Yeah. And um, I have to say what Sam and Shane did brilliantly with that show, um, it was much more than that. They mm -hmm. were really um, shaping the narrative of, of that show. And there were stories that they pitched um, for, uh, for everyone involved. Um, that I think uh, took 
what is a phenomenon and uh, really uh, took it even further to uh, to another level. Uh, it it was a brilliant campaign that I admired from the outside. I I I was actually working on another show that that season, and I you know I looked at it like wow, that's it's it's incredible. So um, so yeah, in that case. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it was just continuity, I think, too, um, and with someone who was there from the very beginning. Well, but that makes if, it a little easier. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're taking over a show um, from another, uh, another press agent, which, you know, look, no one um, really loves to get a show in, in that situation yeah. because someone, uh, someone has been let go for whatever reason, mm -hmm. but when, when it does happen, um, I think you look at uh, what has uh, what has been written thus far. I, you look at all of the clips, um, the stories. Uh, maybe there are things where you look at it and say, I, I would have done that differently. And um, it gives you a direction. Or maybe there's a, uh, a story that hasn't been told that um, you say, okay, here's, here's an opportunity where you know, we can, you know, we can uh, fill this in where, um, you know, something that hasn't, hasn't been told. So, um, and uh, honestly, I, and I think a lot of press agents can, can say that. I say this, uh, I've been on both sides of that equation. It, it just happens. I, sometimes there, sometimes it's even that uh, the personalities don't mesh in, in a way. Um, you and a producer, and, and you stay very close to your producer. Um, maybe it's not uh, an ideal situation where they need someone uh, uh, more aggressive, less aggressive. Uh, you know, it, it's there are any number of reasons why that can happen. So, is there a lot of, um, you just brought this up, and I'm curious, is there a lot of conflict between, or maybe not conflict, but, um, there's always got to be some kind of push pull between what the producers want and what you think will work uh, on producing things or, or promoting things. How, how does that work? Is there is there a hierarchy? It's like, do they make the decisions or do you have to come to some kind of compromise or, or you figure it out? Um, I, it's it's a little bit of everything. I, I'd say there's a little um, uh, push and pull between uh, what a producer might want or expect mm -hmm. uh, and what you think is possible. Um, or whether you think, say they want something that you don't think is such a great idea. Um, so I think, it's, uh, I, th I think it's a combination of um, your, let me put this a different way, maybe, it's your years of expertise, I think, that are, are being called upon. And if you say, I don't think you should pursue this story because of X, um, and you list the reasons why it's not a good idea. Uh, and maybe the producer listens to you, or maybe the producer says, no, I, I, I want this anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, I, I can't say there's any hard and fast answer of, uh, how, how that works. It's, it's very organic. Okay. So. No, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, you got to work together obviously and, and yeah. to produce whatever's best for the show. So is there, a, now you've obviously worked on big shows and Broadway shows, and you said you work on, you know, off Broadway. So obviously they're a little bit smaller. Do, is your approach exactly the same? I, I would assume yes, but then how it's marketed, I guess, and is it different people you approach? Do you approach the exact same X, Y, and Z, or Z, I guess, depending on where you are, um, for, for the Broadway show and then the same for the off-Broadway? Or do you attack kind of separately and talk to different people? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, uh, we love, we love off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway mm -hmm. in, in our office. Um, we do the Worcester Group and Vineyard Theater and New York Classical Theater and um, 
the Hunter uh, Theater Project. Um, I, the thing about Off-Broadway is you have to work, I'd say 10 times harder yeah. to get the attention. Uh, Broadway is the big shiny object and um, uh, when you're opening up a Broadway show, a Broadway show is going to get a certain level of attention sure. um, just by the act of opening. Uh, Off-Broadway, you can have incredible work that's happening and you um, you really have to sort of stand on your chair and wave your arms <laughs> to say, pay attention to this. Yeah. And I, th I think um, you do what you would love to have mm -hmm. happen is uh, a, a heavy hitter. Um, uh, New York Times critic, uh, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, uh, LA Times, come to your off-Broadway show mm -hmm. uh, and really sort of put it into that um, into that sphere. Uh, and I, I have to say too, the um, the critics in those positions, um, Ben Brantley, you know, obviously just. Um, uh, retired from from the uh, critics chair but then i i'd say was always as happy in a church basement somewhere as he as he was uh sitting you know j101 102 in you know the music box theater yeah uh so in in ben's case or peter marks from the washington post uh, Terry Teachout, Wall Street Journal, Charles McNulty, uh, LA Times, um, Chris Jones, Chicago Tribune. Um, they, they are, um, they're, they're, they're curious, they're adventurous. Um, uh, you sometimes have to really badger them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, that happened to me um, recently with Hunter Theater Project with um, a uh, remarkable production of Macbeth uh, that's, um, uh, that they staged. And this was a production that um, had also been produced in New York by Red Bull, uh, Red Bull Theater. And it was the, uh, it was the production of the um, seven schoolgirls uh, per performing Macbeth in uh, uh, like an abandoned lot. Uh, and using found objects to, uh, wow. uh, you know, to stage Macbeth. And it ended in, you know, this incredibly shocking way. Um, well, I was like head over heels with the production. And uh, it was a show that had transferred from another off-Broadway production. Um, and so as like a return engagement, um, some critics just uh, felt, oh, it had been covered. I don't, you know, I don't need to, uh, I don't really need to, to, to see it or weigh in on it. Mm -hmm. And I had to say, no, 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 you, you, you have to come. And I, I really pushed hard to get a few critics in and, and did. And so, um, so that was uh, a successful uh, endeavor, but um you do have projects that um, just don't get that level of attention, no matter how hard you try, and that's yeah. heartbreaking because you have um, uh, playwrights and uh, actors who've put their heart and soul into uh, into this project, whatever it is, and you know those are their dreams that yeah. are on that stage, and you want to do your best for for them. And uh, sometimes you're not successful at it, no matter uh, how much effort you, you put in. And yeah. it's, it's, I'll tell you, it's the type of, uh, those are the type of projects that years later, um, I'll keep thinking back, oh, you know, I could have done it differently if I had only done this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, all of those uh, late nights where I'm just analyzing uh, jobs that I've done over the past 30 years and what I could have done better. I, you can always do better. So that's, uh, 
I think that's um, that's part of it. So it's unfortunate that the the off Broadway and off off Broadway world don't get the respect they deserve. Um, I know you because what well, last time I was in New York, uh, not this past October, but twenty nineteen. All I saw was off Broadway shows. And you know what? I don't care if it's in a church basement or in the you know the basement of whatever or wherever. It, there's just some quality stuff. There's there's unquality stuff as well, but there's unquality stuff on Broadway or wherever as yep. well. Yep. Um, so I I and I do not envy your job of of trying to step on that chair right and shout to the world, "Come see this incredible show!" Because um, yeah. of this, I guess lack of a term, stigma right of it's not broadway it's it's yeah. it's a street over <laughs> well I, I you know it's I, I wouldn't say it's a stigma necessarily but it's you do have to just work harder i i everyone everyone loves sitting in a broadway theater maybe maybe they wouldn't love it right now in the midst of <laughs> but uh we, yes. we will rise again uh but um there's so much work happening and I, it, it, same in Toronto. Uh, Toronto's an amazing, amazing theater town. We're very lucky um, at our office to, to work with Why Not Theater, uh, an extraordinary institution. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to be doing their uh, production of Mahabharat, which was put off to uh, 2022, but yes. um, uh, that's gonna be a very exciting uh, project once once it happens um, and uh, we also we love um, uh, doing work with these companies where, wherever they are not just New York um, we represent Barring Barrington Stage Company uh, up in Pittsfield Massachusetts which um, uh, you know really Julie Boyd uh, through 2020 was trying to figure out a way of how to produce something mm -hmm. uh, when it felt like the pandemic was going to slow down and say this was um, uh, mid to late summer uh, 2020. Um, and we had, boy, eight, 10, 12 different versions of how the season was going to go. They ended up being able to produce um, two, two plays, well, actually, sorry, a play and a musical review outdoors uh, under a tent uh, and also a lot of streaming content, um, which uh, if there's any positive to the pandemic, um, a theater like Barrington Stage can put up a streaming production and all of a sudden it's not just what's happening in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts. You can watch that all over the country, all over the world. And so it's put Barrington on a new level, um, which has been very exciting. Uh, we're also working with uh, Miami New Drama uh, with an incredible project uh, called uh, Seven Deadly Sins, where they have seven playwrights um, who have put together seven plays, short plays, 10 minute plays, uh, uh, each on one of the Seven Deadly Sins. Mm -hmm. They're being performed in storefronts on Lincoln Road uh, in Miami Beach, uh, you know, one of the major commercial thoroughfares. Uh, and Lincoln Road's been devastated by uh, the pandemic. And so there's something like 70 stores out of 200 have closed. And they've taken up uh, using the empty storefronts as performance spaces with uh, actors performing behind glass and uh, an audience of 10 or 12 going storefront to storefront and you oh. sit and you listen with headphones. It's, it's forced um, some theaters to think very creatively about how do you produce yeah. content in during a pandemic. Um, anyway, so that's, that's been exciting and we've, we've gotten some attention for them. So um, uh, that's, that's very gratifying. 
Um, I think we want to engage with work that is exciting where, wherever it happens. So, nice. um, so if there's a mantra to the press room, um, uh, you know, we love, oh my God, I'm so sorry. About the, <laughs> That's the okay. Again, maybe yeah. it's another client. Yeah. <laughs> Can't complain. I, I, I should be that lucky that they're, they're <laughs> uh, no, we want to go where, where the work is, uh, excites us. And that's, that's Broadway. And it's, um, it, it's the church basements. It's, it's wherever, yeah. you know, wherever it's happening. Well, you, you mentioned the pandemic and, and how the 2020 is just ravaged our industry. Um, what have you, what have you been able to to do during that time? And and were you did you pick up new skills that you you had to acquire because everything is closed on 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 the stages and in New York? But like you said, they're doing storefront stuff. Is there a skill or something you had to learn or or pivot a little um, with the company? Uh, I had to, and I'd say we had to pivot. Um, what's happened and where it's where it's become difficult is uh the companies that have decided to uh to keep producing content uh have all turned to streaming in the early days of it um it, it, people were releasing their archives of taped filmed productions uh, and then started producing new content. And I think the difficulty now is that there is a glut of all of these companies that, that, are, that are doing it. And a lot of it is excellent. And uh, you, you, know, you want that to, um, uh, to get attention. And I think you have, uh, I, I think you have press who are uh, either short-staffed because there have been, uh, uh, you know, layoffs and furloughs, and so you have um, uh, newspapers and websites that are operating with uh, with skeleton crews. Basically, um, they're overwhelmed, and uh, so then I, I think you're you're standing on your chair and you're waving your arms even more furiously. Uh, especially when it look, it's it's uh, when it's something that you um, you also really believe in that um, uh, you, you think is 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 worth that attention, or you know, say what is um, what is incredible about it. So um, uh, another client, um, I, I should say, uh, uh, another Canadian, uh, Hershey Felder. Has, uh, has been really brilliant uh, through the pandemic about uh, how he's responded. Um, he, uh, his home is in uh, Florence, Italy. And very early on uh, in May, uh, 2020, he had the idea to start um, live streaming his productions uh, for uh, uh, the benefit of theaters around the country, his artistic homes throughout the U.S. And he started with um, uh, Irving Berlin. It was interesting because he was live streaming it from two in the morning in Italy so that it could be, you know, at eight o'clock in, you know, Eastern time or yeah. uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, five o'clock uh, uh, Pacific. Uh, and he has now put together a season of productions. Um, uh, he just did Tchaikovsky, which was his, uh, his fifth streaming title and has uh, a slate of productions uh, for, 20, for, for this year. I was gonna, about to say 2020 <laughs> for, for now. So um, uh, Hershey was very smart about it and um, uh, I think saw the writing on the wall of that we all hoped that uh, it was just going to be a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. maybe two months. And uh, all told, I mean, it could be 18 months yeah. for the shutdown. I, I, because I think the, um, if you go with uh, uh, Dr. Fauci is, is saying 
maybe by late summer, early fall, we, we can be back, which would be um, just extraordinary. I, I think we're all anxious to, to, to be back. Uh, that also going to go on a tangent, but it also presents um, uh, when we are back, who is the audience? Yeah. Uh, because I think you're going to have some people who are eager to sit in a theater. Uh, I, I think you're going to have a lot who are going to wait or, or yeah. are not ready to come back uh, for the foreseeable future or at all. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because a hundred years ago, Broadway worked and, and stayed open through um, the Spanish flu epidemic, um, you know, which I think is, is extraordinary. Um, but uh, this is a quite different situation. Um, so uh, when, we're, when we're back, um, I'm wondering who those first audiences are and how you reach them. Yeah. Um, I suspect New Yorkers and Tri-State, uh, when I say Tri-State, you know, Connecticut, New Jersey, uh, and New York, mm -hmm. um, they might be the first. Um, I, I, was, um, I, I was working on, this is interesting, Urinetown and Hedda Gabler uh, when 9-11 happened. And Urinetown was supposed to have, was supposed to open September 13th, 2001. And, uh, the night of September 11th was a major critics performance. Like the New York times was going to be there that night. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the world changed. Um, Two days later was the edict, or you know, very soon came the edict that we were to resume performances that Thursday. So um, September thirteenth, instead of the opening for Urinetown, became like the first show back, um, and it was a very small audience that night. And uh, director John Rando, I remember, came on stage and really um, gave a beautiful speech, just saying. Um, it, it basically giving the permission, the audience permission to to laugh and engage, mm -hmm. um, because you had uh, you had actors who weren't ready to to be there, um, or had you know had to travel into the city by hook or by crook. It was um, it was challenging, and also yeah. you know to work on. You're in town and had a gabbler, not exactly light fare. No. Either of them, as, as, as funny as, as you're in town was, I, you know, it was also, yeah. uh, you know, um, uh, not exactly a distraction, you know, because you're, you're dealing with this uh, uh, dystopian world that the author has created. Uh, and one of the characters is thrown off a building, I, you know, so it was just. Uh, you had um, a set of challenges there of like, who's your audience and where are they coming from? And in those days after 9-11, uh, we didn't know what was gonna happen. Um, and I think Broadway really came together as an industry to say, um, we're, we're open. Um, yeah. There was even this, um, uh, notion that you were uh, you were being what, what's the term um, just incredibly supportive to you know to come into the city and and support Broadway and support the industry. This is this is different in that um, everyone's health is at stake, and so yeah. I, you know what what we hope is that um, there is some. I, you know, we all want to get back to work and I hope people take the vaccine seriously and um, we can reach herd immunity and uh, get Broadway reopened. Um, uh, I, I don't know what will, uh, how it'll all play out, but I, I'm also intrigued by, uh, by that challenge. Of, yeah. Uh, recovery and you know um, 
we love Broadway for, for many reasons, but um, uh, it's, it's a huge industry for New York City and, and New York State and, uh, you know, contributes um, actually more than all of the sports franchises in New York put together. Uh, it just generates more for New York City. I think it's, I, th I think the total is 14 billion for uh, New York City. When you add in hotels, uh, restaurants, bars, uh, all of the industries that work with Broadway, the, the uh, wig makers, the costume designer, uh, costume ha uh, wardrobe houses, the, um, the, the, the companies that clean the, the costumes. I mean, all, all of that, I just, uh, close to 100,000 people out of work. So um, we're eager to get back, but in, in a safe way. And uh, I think deal with the challenges of how to welcome an audience back and who, who they are. So yeah. I look forward to uh, being able to cross the border again and, and coming down and seeing the shows and, and being a part of it, so. Yes, uh, you have a, you have an incredible job ahead of you, <laughs> an incredible, um, we know it. we know diffi it. difficult, but exciting, probably at the same time in, in, you know, trying to figure out that puzzle of how it's going to be done. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. uh, Jim, thank you so much for uh, coming in on and talking to me today and telling us a little bit about what you do and, and what a press agent does and, and your, your history within the industry. So it's thank been, you so much. My pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me. No problem. But before we go, I yeah. always ask my guests three questions. There's no right or wrong answer, but the third question might uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So be prepared for that. All right. Question, question number one, what creator or team within the musical theater world has had a great influence on you? Now, it could be a composer, a lyricist, director, producer, actor, even um, a publicist, a stage manager, or it could be someone famous or not famous, like a teacher. Um, is there somebody in the industry that's been a great influence on you and deserves the recognition? Um, I, oh, I, I mean, it's hard to narrow it. I know. Because um, <laughs> there, there are so many teams that, uh, or uh, so many that I admire, um, but Candor and Ebb, I, I, I place really highly. I was very fortunate to do um, the press for Curtains, uh, the Scottsboro Boys, and for the visit at Signature Theater in DC. Um, and getting to work with John Candor, who I have to tell you is uh, just, maybe the nicest man in, in show business and so insanely talented. And I think you look at their body of work and those shows and, uh, you know, so the same team that uh, wrote, you know, Woman of the Year and Curtains wrote Cabaret in Chicago and Scottsboro Boys and uh, just have this, John Kander has this great, understanding of what makes a show tune exciting. Um, it can be just pulling back the tempo at just the right moment in, in a song. Or I, I remember in uh, the recording session for Curtains, uh, they were recording uh, in the same boat, the, the version, if you know the score well, th there's this song that keeps getting rewritten through the show. Yeah. And it finally is all put together. And uh, so they were recording the version where all of the parts come together. And in the last few bars, uh, the brass, uh, last few bars of the song, the brass has like a line, uh, like an, an instrumental break. Yeah. And Kander said to the trombone player to like really let it rip. Uh, and in one take, uh, the, the very next take, you know, the, uh, the trombone player really, you know, gave like a real sort of snappy, uh, like, uh, you know, trombone, you know, growl. Yeah. And Candor, you know, just rolled back and, you know, was, was delighted. And so, you know, it's just, it's that level of expertise. And, you know, Candor goes back to, you know, his days as rehearsal pianist and, and arranger on, on Gypsy. 
Yeah. Uh, just, you know, so in, incredible knowledge. Um, Fred Ab wasn't around, but, um, you know, because he had passed away, obviously. Yeah. But uh, his presence was felt. So, um, so that's a team I admire greatly. Nice. Correct answer. Can't, oh, go wrong okay, with okay. That. Can't go wrong with that answer. That's Thank a great you. answer. Thank you. And awesome. he's still writing. He's still writing in his, in his 90s. It's crazy. So, yeah. All right. So question number two. Is there a show that you worked on that really excited you? One that, you know, doesn't have the notoriety of, you know, Hamilton or Book of Mormon might have, but, you know, that little engine that could show that you just really excited you to work with. Um, God, yes. Um, can I go back to Urinetown? Of course. I, okay. I, uh, as a sidebar, that is probably, I think that was the first Broadway show I'd ever seen. Really? Yeah, back oh my in goodness. 2002. Okay. I love that show. But yes, go on. That's great. Okay. okay. Um, so you're in town. Uh, when I started at Bono Brian Brown, which is one of the um, largest press offices, um, there was the show uh, that they had coming up. Uh, you know, they, they were sort of giving me the, uh, the lay of the land. And uh, I was hired to um, to take over Beauty and the Beast, um, and it was a show that didn't happen. And they said, "Oh, and we have you're in town," and you know, so everyone was making a face. And I was like, "I'll I'll, I'll do it," yeah. you know. Uh, didn't know anything about it, and I, so then seeing a run through in. Uh, a rehearsal room and you saw that it was not this it wasn't you know began in the new york fringe but um you know serious musical chops of of that score mm -hmm. and so you know you're hearing uh brechtin vile and blitzstein and you know uh, and then all you know all of the influ influences of it and uh, that it, it just was, you know, also the serious dystopian world, um, but staged with, you know, this incredible sense of humor. Uh, and then it, it, you know, also off Broadway, we played in this dark, dank uh, theater above a police station on oh, wow. West 54th Street. And so um, you, it was, you would walk into the building and there would be someone as you pass the police desk, you know, someone being arraigned. And then you would like go up this spiral staircase. The theater is still there. It's still, still used. Um, uh, and you were in this sort of black box um, with um, all of the ironwork. And then you had that, that incredible cast of, of 16 just, you know, blasting that score, uh, singing the, you know, their guts out in this, you know, little 150 seat theater. Um, and so there was a show that began in this unlikely place that took this very um, uh, strange path to, you know, to Broadway, we found uh, what was the Henry Miller's theater. It's, it's now the Stephen Sondheim, uh, you know, completely rebuilt, but um, it was the Broadway equivalent of uh, the, the off-Broadway house. Mm -hmm. uh, no police desk, but, you know, we, <laughs> we, we made the, you know, we, they put up uh, all of those boards outside the theater. And remember yeah. the front of house? Ah, yeah. Like, like paper that had been stapled to, you know, so instead of like display cases, <laughs> you just had <laughs> like ads stapled to the building. I, I mean, it was, and you know, you would walk in and I was told the audience, uh, one, one of the, uh, one of the biggest questions they always asked was, what's wrong with this theater? <laughs> Cause I, you know, for anyone who, who did, who didn't, know it back then um it had been a very grand playhouse but was like really had fallen on hard times yeah. and and you know we made it look quite worse but um uh so yeah i i mean that's one that i i, I look back on and 
you know, and on, on top of it, it ended up, if you add Off-Broadway and Broadway together, it played close to three years, which I think is extraordinary. Yeah. And also, you know, survived after uh, 9-11 as well. So yeah. uh, that's one that I, I sort of look back on and, and uh, can't quite believe it, it happened. And I'm very glad it did. And now almost 20 years. This year will be uh, 20th anniversary of it. So. Yeah. yeah, that that show just to read that plot on paper, you're like, um, okay. But then when you get it on stage and it's done, it is brilliant. It's one of my favorites. I, I loved that show, everything about it. So, uh, so extra points for that <laughs> for being here in town. Well, thank so, you. Correct answer. All right. Question number three, the important one. Okay. Food in the theater or cell phones in the theater? Oh. Which are worse? Boy, that's tough. Um, I would, I'd say food in, in the theater okay. uh, for, for me. Uh, a cell phone, God willing, will stop. But some people will, will eat, you know, through a performance. Yeah. Uh, I remember, sit, I can't remember what show it was. I was sitting next to, uh, to someone who's basically gargling M&M's. <laughs> performance had had them like rattling around in his teeth and so yeah so i i'd say food for me is is the is the bigger distraction i just unless you have low blood sugar uh, you know god willing you can get through two hours without (laughs) having to eat but um you know so yeah bigger distraction for me all right i would have also accepted both are a nightmare and should be banned so i'm okay with either of that. i i can get behind that as well okay perfect yeah. so uh three correct answers <laughs> perfect okay. for that quiz uh jim thank you thank you again so much for for indulging us today and, and coming on and talking to us uh, i look forward to uh, seeing more of your shows thank uh, you very much thanks thanks john paul no problem. All right. We have been speaking with uh, Jim Bick from the press room here on Be Our Guest. Tune in next week when we'll be speaking with a new guest or guests about their life, love, and passion. That is musical theater. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff, and I will see you when I see you. We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world, and we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community.